what a great reminder for all of us to wholly trust in Jesus' name. Well, as I wished you a moment ago a happy new year, I also want to wish you a hopeful new year. You know, it's not difficult to get discouraged in our day. There's a lot of discouraging news. Have you noticed that news stories are one horrific event after another? There seems to be a penchant for finding the most discouraging and gruesome stories out there. And many of us in our hearts also feel the weight of discouragement, whether it's pressures from within or without, whether it's relationship difficulties or financial or job challenges, we know what it's like to feel discouragement. And if we're not careful, we'll breathe the air of this world and of our own hearts again and again, and we'll end up with a mindset of despondency about the new year ahead. That's exactly what does not need to happen if you are a follower of Christ. A few weeks ago when we looked at a Thanksgiving message from different verses in Romans, we discovered that there was some conflict among the Roman Christians with, that, that, that dealt with their differences. Uh, the, the Jewish Christians and those who were from a pagan background had different days they celebrated and different uh, traditions as they approached worship and there was tension among them and Paul wrote to them and and told them basically to quit fussing and get along with each other to help each other out and there's a particular wish or a prayer that he prayed for them in Romans 15 And I'm going to read in a moment verses 5 and 6 of Romans 15 because I believe if we can tap into these principles, not only can we have a, so to speak, happy new year, we can have a hope-filled, a new year's full of hope when we're clinging to the principles of the Lord. Uh, In just a couple of weeks, we're going to be getting into a sermon series from the book of Nehemiah. And so I'm excited about diving into that series with you all. But today, we get a New Year's message from Romans chapter 15 in verses 5 and 6 where we find these words. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I look into this prayer, I'm impressed first of all with what Paul is reminding the believers about who God is. It's interesting in the book of Romans, especially in chapter 15, God is described as the God who gives endurance and encouragement in these verses. He's described in verse 13 of Romans 15 as the God of hope, and he's described in verse 33 of Romans 15 as the God of peace. We might ask, why is he the God of so many different things? It's because God's character is so 
multifaceted, that he can be the God of this and the God of this trait and of this characteristic. But he is so many things that he can be described in so many wonderful ways. Now, specifically, as we look at this passage, there's two principles I want you to get about New Year's hope. The first one is number one on your outline, and that's this, to cling to what God is giving. God actually wants to give us two characteristics of himself that I believe if we will tap into and cling to, we'll have a year of hope ahead. And the first one is A, under number one, his endurance. Cling to who God is, and God is, first of all, a God who gives endurance. Now, endurance is the ability, uh, I'm going to read a definition that I found of endurance. It's the ability of an organism to exert itself and remain active for long periods of time, as well as its ability to resist, withstand, and recover from trauma. Now, that's, I know, a real inspiring definition, but uh, when, you, when we think about endurance, uh, oftentimes you think about an endurance exercise, an aerobic type exercise, but it has to do with staying power, with an ability to stand, resist challenges, and to keep moving on at a steady pace. And endurance often does not define us as believers. Do you tend to be a, a, a person who lives and moves in spurts? That you're good at this for a while and you start off strong and you quickly, maybe you take on too much or you're not getting as much out of something as you wanted to. Maybe you're a book starter or a project starter but not as much of a finisher. Well, God is the God of endurance who wants to take us past the trauma, past the difficulties, and to the finish line. And if you and I are people that don't have endurance, we have the privilege of tacking ourselves on to the God who is the one who endures. Now, uh, sometimes when people... Uh, see some of my sons do athletics. They look at me and they say, man, you must have been an athlete. You must have been a baller. And I will say, no, it skipped me and uh, several generations. I don't know how they got to be athletic. Although there is one aspect of my childhood, one great athletic feat that you might have heard of, it was field day at J.T. Stevens Elementary in the spring, I believe it was 1981. Now, and when we had a 50-yard dash or a 100-yard dash, I was usually in the middle, maybe, that's a little generous, maybe middle toward the back of the pack. But one day when we had this field day event, one of the fastest guys in the school that I was friends with said, Hey, Cliff, do you want to do the three-legged race with me? You remember what that was? When you, you tied your foot, you tied you know, yours with someone else, and so you had this leg and this leg and then that leg, and so you ran a 50 yards or whatever. All I remember is when that person who was in charge of that race said go, I was carried along with the fastest pace you've ever seen in your life. And at the end of the day, I got my very first, first place ribbon. Proud as a peacock that I won first place in an athletic event. It was funny, too, because the guy's name, Derek, 
I remember when I was in my late 20s or early 30s, I was at a Wendy's in Fort Worth, Fort, near where I grew up, and I, saw, I hadn't seen him since the fifth grade, because we went to different schools after that, and he looked to me, and he said, Cliff, and I said, Derek, and he said, the three-legged race, but <laughs> anyway, it was a, a big deal, it was probably, he probably went on to win more things than I did, athletically. But uh, it's not a bad idea to tack yourself to someone that has more ability than you do. What an incredible thing for us as people that run out of steam so quickly in our spiritual lives. That we are tired at the end of the day. We're tired of fighting and pushing and, and moving forward in our own energy. And one of the biggest gifts we can realize this year is that we can't do it. That's why it says in Jeremiah 17, 5, that cursed is the man that depends on his own flesh for strength. But we have a relationship with the God who gives endurance. And I just sort of want to picture myself this year getting some string and tying it tightly to the living God who gives endurance and trusting him to take the lead and carry me and carry us on those dark and challenging days, on those days where we face discouragement, on those days where we, take, where we experience fatigue, on those days where we wrestle with temptation. We don't have it, but the God who gives endurance does. Now, imagine that he was only a God who gave endurance. He gave you staying power, but that's it. Well, I love the balance of who God is because he's not only the God who gives endurance, but B, on your outline under number one, that we must cling to what else God is giving, and that is be his encouragement. The scripture says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Maybe some of you grew up in a, setting where you were encouraged to be enduring but you were never given any encouragement and the only encouragement you could get was the encouragement that you got from your own success and so you never got any attaboys or pats on the back from your parents or from loved ones yet you had to earn it by grades or by sports or by success in other areas and you begin to crave for it and maybe you got into a, an, a marriage where there wasn't any encouragement and so you sort of crave that encouragement and what the word encouragement is it means to come to the aid of another it means to offer support and help and hope and inspiration to another person and God is not just the God who says Hang in there, endure, make it to the end. He gives us his endurance, but he also gives us his support, his comfort, and he comes to our aid. Incredible, such a God. Now, it's not an oft-repeated refrain in Scripture, but we do have another reference to God being the encourager God, in Psalm chapter 10, verse 17, it says, You, O Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. So when we call out to God in prayer, the Scripture says that God encourages them. Maybe you've experienced that, 
Maybe you have been down in the dumb shit. You had the wherewithal because God was moving in you to go to him in prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to into prayer anxious and left filled with peace and hope. Why? Because God doesn't just listen to my cry, but he encourages. He comes to our aid. He comes to our support. He lives his life through us. And it's an incredible thing. And I want you to know this year that God wants to encourage you. And, and he is so apt to be one who comes to your aid because he has love that is unfailing. One of the ways he wants to encourage you is by offering you his forgiveness and by, by surrounding you with his love, by infusing you with his strength, and by giving you and, and, and enabling you to overcome your trials and temptations. He is the God who offers that kind of encouragement and it's the encouragement you so desperately need so this year in order to have a year full of hope cling to what he's giving the God who gives endurance and the God who gives encouragement but it's not just that God is giving us something and not asking something from us as this prayer as this wished fill of hope continues for the Roman Christians, and for us as well, there are several principles that stick out that we, number two on your outline, that we must aim for what God is wanting. The first one is A, and that's for harmonious relationships. It says at the end of verse five that God may give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. In their divisions, he was praying that they would learn to have harmony. That's one of the things we should all be grateful for as a church family, that God has given harmony and unity to our congregation. And it's something we must fight to preserve, that we keep our relationships with one another open and honest and real. One of the things that we must aim for in our own personal relationships this year is to have unity and oneness and harmony as well. Oftentimes, we let our emotions get the best of us, and, there, and therefore, tension can result in our relationships. Uh, my wife, one time, felt impressed to bring up a difficult issue with a, uh, that uh, it was sort of an extended family issue, and she brought up something that was on her heart, and she brought it up so well, and it was received well by the other person. But someone else kind of got in on the conversation, and when they realized the topic, they brought up, they brought a lot of emotion to the conversation, and all of the resolving that was almost finished, the airplane was about to land, all of a sudden tension filled the room because someone was so filled with hurt and emotion. And oftentimes when we're seeking to get unity in a, in a relationship that's strained, we need to ask God for grace to keep our emotions in check and to speak words with wisdom and that are self-controlled and not laced with an anger that seeks to injure because more harm than good can be done in those situations. One of the, often another difficulty that happens is that we get used to disunity. Sometimes there may have been long-standing tensions in our relationships, 
And we've sort of gotten used to not talking with this person we used to be close with, but we had words with months ago. Or maybe we've gotten used to being at odds with a family member that has given new meaning to the word distant relative. And we've sort of gotten into a rut and a habit with that. There was uh, several years ago in the, where I previously served, there was a family that had an older son that was a bit wayward that they had had conflict with and he moved out and they were upset about it. One day at church, they said to me, Pastor, pray for us because we really can't seem to communicate with our son. And I said, well, would you like him to come back home and live with you? Because he was 17, maybe, or 18. And he says, yes, but, you know. I said, well, what, what, are the, what, would you, what are the demands you have for that to happen? And I said, well, if he would do this, this, and this, everything would be fine. I said, do you mind if I call him and see if he would uh, be amenable to that? And they said, sure. You know, it won't do any good, but sure. So I figured this guy, who was now going to another church at least, uh, would, was kind of getting tired of where he was living as well. So I called him up and said, hey, this is Pastor Cliff. He's like, eh, hello. I said, hey, I was talking to your folks. They really miss you. They would like you to come home. But they said to me, if you would do this, this, and this, that they would love you to come home. Is those are things you think you could do? And he said, yeah, yeah, I could, I could live with that. And I said, well, could I tell them that you'll be home for dinner tonight? And he said, Sure. And so I hang up the phone and tell them, hey, he'll be home for dinner. <laughs> they looked at me like I was Dr. Phil or something like that. And I, <laughs> but I thought to myself, it, it amazed me and how everyone was ready to make up, but no one had the humility or courage or the wherewithal to pursue harmony and unity. Maybe you've gotten used to disunity. And I want to encourage you that we must have a oneness in the body of Christ because we belong to each other. Our relationships need to mark the unity that there is in the, in the Godhead. There needs to be a oneness in the way we love and relate to each other. And, and part of it, at the end of verse 5, the spirit of unity among yourselves, it says, as you follow Christ Jesus. That's the key to harmonious relationships is following Christ Jesus. And that involves B under number 2, is conformity to Christ. We must aim for what God's wanting, and that's conformity to himself. You know, I remember when this did not last very long, but I remember when my oldest kids were younger, and I would come out of my bedroom with a blue shirt on. They would be wearing something different, and all of a sudden, they would dart to their room. They'd go to their drawer. They'd find a blue shirt. They'd put it on, and Mom would be like, you changed shirts? Yeah, I'm going to be like Daddy. And like I said, that didn't last for very long. But I was like, whoa, I've never been, no one's ever followed me much in terms of fashion, so I better watch myself. Now, I thought to myself, you know, they say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And if we're going to follow Christ Jesus, it means we need to be imitators of Christ. And what happens is, is oftentimes our attitude does anything but reflect Christ. And when we see that our attitude is dishonoring God, we need to quickly go and change and put on the attitude of Christ. Instead of having a conviction that's flimsy like ours is in this world, we need to put on the stern wisdom of the Lord Jesus. We need to imitate who he is because the scripture tells us in 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to walk in him must walk as Jesus did. So as we conform ourselves to the image of Christ, also, another way to aim for what God is wanting is see, and that is a passion for his glory. At, in verse 6, it says, So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I don't want the word glorify God to be a mere buzzword because if you've been here a while, you've heard me mention again and again that we exist for the glory of God. And glory is a way that basically is a word that means to make known or reveal. And we just point out of, of God's greatness. And the word glory also could mean the sum perfection, the total of all of the perfection of God's wrapped up into one. And, and so we're, we exist to glorify him, to reveal his perfections. How do we do that? I've listed as we close six ways that we can learn to live for God's glory. The first one is to pray. And I hope that this year you'll ask God for a deeper passion to pray. You know, John 14, verse 13 says, I'll give you whatever you ask that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Maybe requests you put before God have not been answered because the, your request did not glorify God. But true prayer has God's glory in its aim. Number two is obey. We glorify God by simply doing what he says. Jesus said in John 17, 4, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. During Christmas break when we were visiting Susie's dad in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we went skeet shooting with, uh, with the boy's grandpa and I was you know, cleaning stuff from out of the car and I brought a rifle inside the house and Susie's sister, Aunt Sherry, was at the top of the stairs talking with Susie, and she had her dog over. And her dog does not know me very well. And the dog saw me walking in with a gun. And, it start, and I began to see the, the dental work of the dog. <laughs> and it was coming toward me, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> uh, what do I do? And I, all of a sudden, she was calling for that dog to, you know, down, boy, down, come back to me. And um, it was like, it was one of those deals where, am I going to do what my master says or am I going to take down this guy with a gun, you know? And fortunately, dog obedience school kicked in a little late and the dog went down and I quickly put up that gun. <laughs> now, I thought to myself, that's how we are sometimes. Something entices us to disobey and we're on the bubble, we're on the edge and we can't decide if we want to go God's way or our way we got to realize we're created for the glory of God. And Jesus said, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I want to reflect and reveal your glory by obedience. A third way we glorify God is trust. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse, uh, in verse 20, when it speaks of Abraham, it says he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. So as, our, as, as we... As our faith, as, as we trust in God, God gets glory. We reveal how great God is by simply trusting in Him. Paul makes a great argument for moral purity, number four on your outline, of how moral purity glorifies God. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says that you were, your body is not your own, that it was created for God, and that therefore we must Honor God with our bodies. Honor or glorify God with our bodies. In our day where anything's, anything goes, we must stand and say, we're going to glorify God by moral purity, by what our eyes see, by what kind of actions we enter into. We will glorify Him with the way we live and the way we conduct life in our bodies. 
Number five on the outline is to pursue unity. And that's simply the text we've been looking at today. But don't forget that one of the ways you glorify God is through oneness in relationships. And lastly this morning, we glorify God by praise. And that's why we spend so much time in our church praising and worshiping God. Because as we learn to glorify him through our praise, we learn to live a life of praise and are on point in our aim and purpose of glorifying God. That's why the, in, in the purpose statements of our church, worship, connect, and engage, that worship is distinctively first because that's why we exist for him. As we consider this <clears throat> powerful passage, I hope that your mind is starting to taste what a new year full of hope can be like. We belong to the God who gives endurance and encouragement. As we consider this powerful passage, I'd like us to enter into a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, you've not just given us this year and then let us go on our own. That you want a relationship with us and by your grace, we can have one. We, we're so thankful for it. We'd like to ask today if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith in you, that's never entered into that relationship with the living God where they have confessed their sins and believed what you've done on the cross for them, we'd like to pray that you would draw them to believe. I'd like to pray for all of us, Lord, that this year we would tie our leg to you the God of endurance, and you would carry us along as you encourage us through every facet of this new year. Thank you, living God. So shall it be in Christ's awesome name we pray. Amen.